Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'm going to answer the question that everybody seems to be asking, or at least the question that everyone seems to be asking me. I'm going to explain how to raise money as a new startup founder in Japan. You know, it's funny how things work out. I originally planned to write this episode a few months ago as kind of a short take on a focused topic while I finished up my episode about the history of software engineering in Japan. But this topic kind of got away from me. My first draft and notes for the show came in at over 24,000 words, which, by the time I fleshed it out, would have ended up as an almost four-hour podcast. And even I can't stand to listen to me for four hours. So I've had to make some cuts. Some painful cuts. This episode should be under an hour, but it requires that I speak in generalities and make a few overbroad statements. There are a few really important topics that I will just mention briefly before moving on. So, if while you are listening to this episode, particularly my VC friends, if you find yourself thinking that I should really explain a particular point in more detail and with more nuance, or wishing that I would dive deeper into specific strategies and scenarios, well, me too. But we'll save that for another podcast, or maybe a conversation over a beer sometime. Now, there are a few very important questions you need to ask before you even decide to seek VC money. Things like, how do you plan on using those funds? And are you sure you understand the growth-driven management style that you're signing up for here? But from my experience, relatively few founders really want to dive into those topics. No. What founders in Japan really want to talk about is how to raise money. So that's what we're going to do. Today I'm going to give you a clear and actionable plan so that one you can decide which VCs you should approach. Two, you can set up meetings with partners at reputable VC firms. Three, I'll tell you how to pitch in the most effective way possible. And four, I'm going to give you some strategies to actually help close the round and get the money in the bank. And you'll be able to do it all in a reasonable amount of time without going absolutely crazy. Now, I'll warn you, each of these steps is significantly harder than the one before, but you'll be building up your skills as you move through the process. Also, as part of my research for this episode, I not only had a lot of conversations, but I also created an informal Why Meet a Founder survey and sent it to many of my VC friends in Japan. The survey asked what factors influence their decisions to meet with a founder and hear their pitch. We'll talk about the survey a bit during the podcast, and the results are available to you as a special bonus download in the show notes on the Disrupting Japan site. All right, are we ready to go? Let's get started with step one, creating your short list of VCs to target. Now, when I talk about creating a list of VCs, I'm not talking about finding names and contact information for a bunch of VCs in Japan. That's actually pretty easy. We'll, we'll talk about that later, and there'll be links in the show notes. I'm talking about creating the short list of VCs that you want to approach with your startup. So why a short list rather than a long list? After all, many successful founders tell of how they made dozens of pitches before getting funding, why should I limit my options? Well, first, your options are already limited, and it's best that you understand that in advance. No matter how great your idea is, most funds simply won't be able to invest in your startup for reasons that, as you'll see, are very easy to understand. Second, the problem is that there is a really popular startup origin myth about how some disruptive and innovative founders had to pitch dozens, hundreds of investors before they found a VC who could recognize their vision and their genius. 
But you know, it's almost always bullshit. In a recent interview, Peloton founder John Foley bragged that over 400 investors turned him down. Now, maybe that's just an exaggeration. Maybe he's counting all 50 investors who attended some pitch event or demo day. I don't know. But if he really made 400 investor presentations before finding investment, it was probably because he didn't take the time to figure out who was able to invest in him in the first place. Pitching is not simply a numbers game. Or at least it shouldn't be. The second reason you should have a short list of VCs is that while there are a lot more VCs in Japan than there were a decade ago, there really aren't that many. So it doesn't take much time to research them and to start with the ones where you will have the highest chance of success and who can give you the best advice. Okay, before we get into how to find the VCs and put your list together, you need to understand the different kinds of venture money available in Japan. There are actually a lot of different types of VCs, and I'll get into some of the finer details later. But for now, the most important difference you need to understand is the difference between regular venture capital funds, or VCs, and corporate venture capital funds, or CVCs. Japanese CVCs behave differently from those in the U.S. and Europe, so we'll cover them in depth. And we'll also talk about foreign VC funds, specialty VC funds, and government-related VC funds, which are all special cases as far as startup founders are concerned. The most fundamental difference between CVC and regular VC is that regular VCs raise money from a wide range of individuals and institutions, and they're primarily interested in financial returns. Actually, obsessed with financial returns would probably be more accurate. You see, for a VC, those financial returns determine how the investment team is compensated, whether they will be able to raise another fund, and even whether they'll be able to continue having a career in venture capital. In a sense, traditional VCs are very simple creatures. You know exactly what motivates them. Corporate VCs, CVCs, in Japan are very different and far more complicated in their motivations. CVCs are run by large enterprises, and the investment funds come primarily or even exclusively from that enterprise or its corporate group. In fact, many CVC funds in Japan aren't actually funds at all. In many cases, the company can pull the money out of the fund at will, and sometimes there isn't even a dedicated pool of money. The enterprise simply invests from their balance sheet. While Japanese CVCs do care about financial returns, it's usually not their primary metric. CVCs usually invest strategically, to gain insight into a new technology in their industry, to own a portion of a company they want to do business with, or to build a relationship with a company they might want to acquire later. Now, to most founders, CVCs with their long-term focus and industry connections sound like an ideal investor. And yeah, they, they can be. But the truth is, that as an early-stage founder, and, and it breaks my heart to say this, but you're probably wasting your time pitching to Japanese CVCs. It, it's not that CVCs don't make great investors. They do. However, pitching directly to them is usually not the most efficient way to get them to invest. That sounds like a confusing statement. But if your startup is still in the early stage by which I mean this is the first time you're raising venture capital or you do not have an existing customer base in their industry with real sales, simply leave Japanese CVCs off your target list, at least for now. The hard thing about pitching Japanese CVCs is that since their careers are not tied to the returns of the fund, 
they're much less likely to take a risk on an unproven startup than a regular VC is. Now, if you're already doing business with that CVC's corporate group, you should definitely pitch them. However, even then, your best strategy is to have them recommend you to a regular VC who can then help them set valuation and de-risk the deal for them. The basic reason for this is that CVCs tend to require a lot more external validation and certainty than regular VCs do. And a regular VC is much more likely to see the potential of an early-stage startup or an idea than a CVC is. Now, it might seem that I'm being unfair to CVCs here. And yeah, I get that. I mean, I have friends at Japanese CVCs. Friends I will undoubtedly be hearing from as soon as this episode is released. Some investors at CVCs are every bit as nimble and forward-looking as regular VCs. But most aren't. And if you're a startup burning through your capital, you need to focus your fundraising efforts where you'll have the greatest chance of success. So, what if you're still early stage but feel that a particular CVC would be a great investor? Well, from outside the industry, it can be really hard to identify which CVCs are worth pitching to directly. So, advice from regular VCs or startups in their portfolio will be your best guide. If you don't have access to those people, then my advice is to first get a regular VC interested in investing in your startup and then have them approach the CVC for you or with you. Venture capital in Japan is still a pretty small club, so it's quite likely your VC will know someone at the CVC fund and also be able to give you some advice about whether they would be a good fit or not. And we'll talk more about this particular strategy a bit later in the show. Okay, while traditional VC funds and CVC funds make up the vast majority of investment funds available in Japan, there are a few other, more specialized funding options that are worth knowing about. First, there are foreign CVC funds. There are more and more foreign CVCs operating in Japan every year, and while they make a small percentage of the investments here, they're an increasingly important force in the market. From a fundraising point of view, most foreign CVCs act more like regular VCs than they do like Japanese CVCs. While in general, they do favor later-stage startups with market validation, foreign CVCs will often lead rounds and can be pitched to just like normal VCs. And I want to be clear, when I say foreign CVC... I mean foreign capital, like Intel, Boeing, or Salesforce. The person you'll be dealing with from these firms may well be Japanese, but they will still be investing the way foreign CVCs are expected to invest. That's why they were hired. In fact, I've had friends who moved from Japanese to foreign CVCs and began investing much more aggressively once they were given the opportunity. Second, there are sector-specific funds. These are funds that were raised to invest in, for example, drones, or virtual reality, or edtech, or blockchain startups. There are a fair number of these funds in Japan. They tend to be smaller and often invest in early-stage startups. If you fit one of these themes, by all means, add these funds to your target list. Third, there are a number of venture funds that are associated with universities or other special government initiatives. If you qualify for this, you probably already know about it. If your university has a venture fund, it's your best place to start. The investors there tend to be super approachable, and they'll spend a lot more time with you. If you have access to such a fund, your fundraising life just got a whole lot easier. Place it at the top of your list and make an appointment. Finally, I'd like to say a word on accelerators. Real startup accelerators have kind of fallen out of fashion in Japan. 
there are still a handful of them, and they might be a good option if you're still in the process of pulling your startup together. However, most of the programs billed as accelerators in Japan are actually not accelerators. Most so-called startup accelerators in Japan are corporate open innovation platforms. These are a great way to sell to Japanese enterprises, but they have no place on your list of target VCs. Okay, now for the easy part. Getting a list of VCs in Japan. I've put links in the show notes to a few directories, and if you know of other good ones, please let me know, and I'll include them as well. It's a seller's market right now, and most early-stage VC funds are working pretty hard to make sure that you know about them. As you go down your list of VCs, Google them and visit their sites. In their About page, most funds are very clear about who they invest in. If they're an overseas-only fund and you're a Japanese company, cross them off your list. If they're a growth-stage fund and you're looking for seed funding, cross them off your list. If they're a drone fund and you're a B2B SaaS company, I mean, seriously, why waste your time? If you have a fund that looks like it's a good fit, take a look at their portfolio page. If they've invested in other startups in your industry and about your size, that's a very good sign. Put them on your shortlist and then Google these deals. What do the partners say about the investment? Knowing why the firm made those investments, how they view the future of the industry, and what they find attractive about startups can be a huge help when pitching to that VC. I'll warn you in advance. Most of the press releases you'll read are bland, boring boilerplate. But... Once in a while, you'll find some really useful information that can help you tailor your pitch to that VC. What, so you expect me to make 50 different pitch decks? No. If your short list of VCs has 50 funds on it, you're doing it wrong. Right now, we want to focus on the 5 to 10 where you will have the highest chance of success. We'll have plenty of time to pitch the others later if we need to. Okay, now that you know who you want to meet, what's the best way to actually get a meeting with them? I had my own theories on this, but in researching this episode, I sent out an informal Why Meet a Founder survey to seed investors in Japan, asking them what factors would most make them want to hear a pitch from an unknown startup founder. The results were interesting and caused me to rethink some of the advice I used to give. You can download the results from the show notes at the site. So, based on all this research, I'm going to give you a near foolproof plan for getting a meeting with a top-tier VC in Japan. Now, Executing this plan is not particularly hard, but it will require you to invest a fair amount of time. And since innovators and hackers are always trying to hack the system and find shortcuts and hidden insider tips, before I explain how you should set up your meetings with VCs, I feel I should cover three things that you really, really should not do. First, don't pester their friends, spouses, girlfriends, boyfriends, relatives, or podcasters to make an introduction for you. You're just going to annoy people by creating awkward social situations. And besides, every VC I spoke to said that the pitch decks they get in this way get no special attention. Every startup gets vetted through the same process by the same team. The fact is... It's not hard to get seed stage VCs to look at your deck. Every seed stage VC I spoke to told me that their team looks at everything that comes in. So the good news is that cold mailing your deck to a VC is just as effective as asking a VC's boyfriend to have her look at your deck. The bad news, of course, is that neither one of these is particularly effective. So it'll be better to stick with what works. And we'll get to that in a minute. 
Second, never pay anyone for an introduction to a VC. This is, thankfully, a lot less common in Japan than it used to be. But there are still far too many startup advisors and startup consultants who promise to help you raise money for a percentage of the cash or for equity in your company. These people are scammers and liars, and you should ignore them. Now, that said, there is absolutely nothing wrong with paying fixed, reasonable fees for help with your presentation or your business plan or any other aspect of your startup. That, that's all good. And it's true that many VCs do use startup scouts and venture partners to help them find the right startups to invest in. But their compensation comes from the VC side, not from the startups. At, at later stages, yeah, there are some special cases where these kinds of equity-based contingency fees make sense. But as an early-stage startup, there just aren't. There is plenty of free advice available, and Japan's startup community is so supportive, there's no need for it. And although you might find this surprising, investors are pretty friendly people. And as a whole, they'd be quite pissed off at anyone trying to sell access to them. All right, with all that gloom and negativity out of the way, let's get down to what really works in getting a meeting with a VC in Japan. Based on my own experience and the Why Meet a Founder survey, there are two effective strategies in getting positive attention from Japanese VCs. First, pitch contests. Now, I, I have mixed feelings about pitch contests, but the fact is, winning awards at pitch contests ranked as the number two most influential factor in why meet a founder. So they're worth talking about, and they're probably worth doing. Actually, there's a lot to like about pitch contests. They can be great practice for public speaking, and they can help you hone your presentation skills. People who want to join startups often attend these events so they can help you attract employees or co-founders. And the right ones can be a great source for sales leads and business development. So with all this going for them, what's not to love about pitch contests? Well, pitch contests in Japan have really changed over the past decade, and it's important that you, as a founder, understand this. Ten years ago, pitch contests were still pretty rare in Japan, and they were mostly attended by VCs who were ready to invest and startups who were ready for investment. Today, pitch contests have become a standard component of many startup events. So much so that when any Japanese enterprise or government agency wants to show the world how innovative they are, one of the first things their vendors propose is for them to hold a startup pitch contest. Now, that event may or may not include anyone with a desire to invest in or partner with startups, but in this case, that's not the point. The point is the photo ops and the press coverage for the sponsoring organization. So you need to do some due diligence on who you expect to be in the audience before you agree to participate in a pitch contest. And you'll need to be clear on exactly what you expect to get out of it. Some pitch events are really worthwhile, and some are a waste of your time. The other thing I would caution you on is to remember that pitch contests are only a means to an end. I, I've watched several startup founders collect a series of pitch contest awards as their startup slowly went out of business. And in one case, I'm pretty sure that the amount of time the founder spent pitching was one of the main reasons the startup never generated any real revenue. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. Now, all of that said, pitch contests can be really worthwhile, and you don't even have to come in first. In fact, pitch contests are often won by the startup with the most inspiring story or the most radical idea, 
rather than the startup with the greatest likelihood of success. And that makes sense. There's no number crunching or due diligence at pitch contests. They tend to be popularity contests. I've never met a VC who would invest based on who wins a pitch contest. But doing well can give you that external validation that new startups very badly need. Doing well shows VCs that at least one other group of experienced people in the industry think that your startup and your idea is worthwhile. And that's often enough to make them want to hear more about you. In terms of how to make an effective presentation for pitch contests, others have written about this pretty extensively, and I'll put some links in the show notes. But one piece of advice I do want to give, and this runs contrary to some of the advice you'll receive, but it's backed up by a lot of Japanese startup founders. And that's, don't force yourself to be someone you're not. You don't have to transform yourself into a caricature of a startup founder by trying to channel Elon Musk or Steve Jobs and becoming one of those nattering ninnies who starts every fourth sentence with, imagine a future where whatever. If you can clearly explain the problem, your solution, and your customers, you're going to do fine. So, by all means, join some pitch contests. But don't get cocky if you win, and don't get depressed if you lose. You're there to get exposure and to make connections, not to collect trophies. In fact, there is a much better, a near-foolproof way of getting a meeting with a VC, one that almost every VC surveyed said had a very strong impact on whether or not they decided to set up a meeting with a new founder. And that's what we're going to talk about now. The single most effective way to get a meeting with an investor in Japan is by getting a recommendation from one of their portfolio companies. Now, I'm talking about a recommendation, not just an introduction. So, so don't start emailing founders and saying, hey, I've noticed that XYZ Capital invested in you guys. Can, can you introduce me? First, I mean, it's kind of rude. And second... Those kind of low-information introductions carry no more weight than all the random pitch decks that come in from other sources. Now, what you are after here is a recommendation. You want the portfolio founder to go to the VC and say, Hey, have you heard about these guys? They've got a really interesting business, and I, I think they're raising right now. You should talk to them. That will get any VC's attention, and it will almost certainly get you a meeting. But to get from here to there, you should approach it in a very particular way. If you've been following my advice so far, you have already made your list of VCs who you want to pitch to. Go back to the portfolio page on their website and learn a little bit about each one. What you're looking for here is a startup that is one or two financing rounds ahead of you, and one that has a similar business model, but is not a competitor. And by not a competitor, I mean their customers and users are different from yours. If you have a customs clearing SaaS and they have a SaaS used by HR, you're similar but non-competitive. You both are an enterprise SaaS, but you have different customers within the enterprise. If you're an ad tech company and they have a newsreader and recommendation platform, you're similar but non-competitive. The goal is to find fellow founders who would understand your startup, but not feel threatened by it. What you want to do now is approach these founders and ask for advice about your company. And, and let me be clear here, you're really looking for advice on how to improve your startup. As you'll see in a moment, none of this will work if you view it as some kind of pretext to get an introduction. If a particular portfolio company is not run by someone you respect or think you can learn from, then move on to the next one. Now, I admit, I have a bit of an ulterior motive here with this advice, but, but it's a friendly one. You see, reaching out to other founders like this is something you should be doing even if you're not looking for investment or introductions. 
One of the things that could really help move Japan's startup ecosystem forward is more cooperation and more collaboration between startup founders. As a whole, you'll find that startup founders who are just a few steps ahead of you are a far more valuable source of advice, encouragement, and support than VCs or accelerator mentors. Making contact with these founders is pretty easy. If you ask nicely, you'll find most people are happy to answer honest requests for advice from fellow founders. True, we founders all tend to be an insanely busy bunch, but the whole community has an increasingly strong pay-it-forward attitude. If you're serious and polite, people will take the time to talk to you. But you have to be serious. You have to be willing to listen. If all you want is that introduction, founders are going to sense that, and you won't get the advice or the introduction. More important, however, you're going to miss out on an incredible chance to improve your startup and to make your life as a founder a little bit less stressful and crazy than it is right now. This is a chance to get some real feedback about your startup, your strategy, about VCs in Japan, and just what you're about to put yourself through in your first fundraising. If you're doing something interesting and worthwhile, the introductions and recommendations will come pretty quickly. And those recommendations, they carry a lot of weight. And this makes sense when you think about it. The VCs respected those founders' judgment enough to invest, let's say, a million dollars into their startups. So those VCs certainly value that founder's advice enough to spend 30 minutes meeting with a new startup that they recommend. In fact, the only time this won't work is when the VC is limited by their charter and can't invest in your startup. For example, you want to pitch your SaaS startup to a drone fund or you're trying to raise seed capital from a growth stage fund. But since you did your research when putting together your short list of VCs, that will never happen to you, will it? Smart VCs understand that their portfolio companies are much more than just financial assets. And in the Why Meet a Founder survey, VCs overwhelmingly rated recommendations from portfolio founders as the most persuasive reason to meet an unknown startup founder. Okay, now that you've got your meeting, let's talk a bit about how to pitch your startup to a Japanese venture capital firm. So, we're getting to the exciting part now, and once again, you'll find links in the show notes to some good general advice about pitching to VCs. So, you and I can skip the basics and get on to the really important things, and cover some of the points that those pitching guides always seem to leave out. In fact, if you've read some of those guides or materials like them, the most important advice I can give you here is don't overthink things. Now, this can be hard advice to follow, because the internet is, is amazingly good at overthinking things. Let's take a look at your pitch deck, for example. You definitely need to explain the problem you're solving, how you're solving it, who your customers are, introduce your team, and talk about what you're going to do with the investment. Other than that, well, a good-looking pitch deck is important, but it's honestly not that important. I mean, sure, a truly ugly pitch deck might hurt your chances, but tweaking and polishing your deck very quickly hits the point of diminishing returns. Look, if you're targeting the right VCs, you're going to be pitching to pros. This makes some founders nervous, but really, it should have the opposite effect. You see, these VCs see dozens, sometimes hundreds of pitches a month, and most of them are pretty good at spotting defects in a business plan despite a brilliantly designed pitch deck. And conversely, they're pretty good at seeing the potential of a startup, even if the deck is mediocre. If you follow the basic formats I've linked to and cover the ground explained there, you'll be fine. Hell, if you do that, you'll be better than 80% of the pitches these guys see. The pitch deck, it's just a tool. Startup culture, however, seems obsessed with the pitch deck. 
There are expensive online courses and consulting on how to build the perfect pitch deck. I, I've seen articles that claim certain key phrases must be included, and even that certain color schemes are this key to success. It's, it's ridiculous. You're not selling your pitch deck. You're selling shares in your company. A nice-looking deck is great, but the time you spend polishing and reworking the color scheme would probably be better spent getting new customers. Okay, the second piece of advice, and this is far more common among the foreigners pitching in Japan, is that you can bullshit, but you can't lie. So, what's the difference between bullshitting and lying? Well, that's, that's a fair question. Bullshitting is things like explaining how your to-do app is going to change the world or how, based on initial user feedback, you should be able to overtake the market leader in three years. Yeah, to an informed listener, it's obviously bullshit. But I mean, you know, you could believe it. That kind of bullshit shows a certain amount of optimism and passion that VCs love. It's part of the charm of being a startup founder. As, as long as you're not actually basing your business plan around that bullshit, it's all good. Lying, however, is very different. If you tell a VC that you've received a term sheet from another VC when you have not, or that you have ABC Corp. as your customer when you're actually still in negotiations or that your CTO graduated from MIT when he didn't, that's lying. And that kind of thing can blow up a deal, not only with the VC you're lying to, but with every other VC in Japan. Venture capital is growing fast in Japan, but it's still a pretty small community. People talk, share ideas, and they do check out what startups tell them. In my work with TEPCO's CVC team, I've been amazed at, at how many startups tell easily verifiable lies in their pitch. I mean, just don't. Okay, with those don'ts out of the way, perhaps the most important advice I can give is more about your general mindset than specific tactics. A lot of founders view pitching a VC as somehow asking the VC to do them a favor by investing. And since you might literally be asking the VC for a million dollars, yeah, yeah, I, I get why it can feel that way. But in reality, it's not like that at all. The fact is, those venture capitalists you're pitching to, they desperately want to invest in you. L let me explain. VCs raise money from other investors with the promise of investing that money in startups and generating a significant return. The important thing to realize here is that VCs need to invest that money, and they need to do it relatively quickly. Just sitting on the cash and waiting for the perfect startup to come along is not an option. Okay, maybe it's an option for some of Japan's CVCs, but it is not an option for regular VCs. If they don't invest that money in quality startups pretty quickly, their LPs will get upset and their reputation will suffer. Finding enough of these startups and convincing them to take their money is what keeps VCs up at night. And this, my founder friend, is where you come in. That VC you're pitching to tomorrow, he desperately wants to invest in you. Before every meeting, he's hoping that this one, this company is going to be the next 1,000 times hyper-growth startup that they'll be bragging about at cocktail parties in five years. Of course, you know, they know that statistically, you probably aren't that startup. But man, they're really hoping that you are. And if they've agreed to hear your pitch in person, then they already think that just maybe you could be. My point is, this is not an adversarial relationship. You and the VC you're pitching to, you're actually on the same side at this point. There's no reason to get stressed out, and every reason 
why you should view your pitch to the VC as just a conversation between two normal human beings. Now, I admit, the particular VC you're pitching, they may not play it this way. It really depends on their personality. Some people are friendly and easygoing, some are cold and aloof, and some are aggressive. But behind all that, they're all facing the same problem, and they're all hoping that you are the solution to that problem. The VC needs you every bit as much as you need them, and they want your pitch to work out just as much as you do. So, don't sweat it. Go in there, explain who you are, what problem you're solving, and how you're going to grow, and you'll do great. Okay, so you've made your pitch. Hopefully it went well. So what comes next? Well, that depends on what they thought of your startup, the size of your round, and the way that particular VC is run. Basically, though, if things go very well, you'll leave with a concrete next step. That might be scheduling a follow-up meeting or a presentation with the rest of the investment committee. It might be a list of the questions the investor needs answered for due diligence. For small seed rounds, you might even get a handshake commitment to invest, but that's, that's pretty rare in Japan. The most common conclusion to your pitch is having the VC tell you that you have an interesting idea and they'll get back to you after thinking it over and discussing it internally. Which kind of sucks because it doesn't really tell you anything. You also might get a direct no. Direct no's are actually great in a way, particularly if they come with a concrete and specific explanation of why. A well-reasoned no can help you refine your pitch, and more important, knowing that a VC is not interested can save you a lot of time. And if the reason they can't invest has nothing to do with your startup itself, ask if they know another VC that would be a better fit, and if they'd be willing to make an introduction. But as I mentioned before, the most common result is a friendly, thanks, we'll be in touch soon. And in general, they will. Even the slow Japanese VCs will get back to you in a week or two, and feel free to follow up during that period. Of course, you're not going to be just sitting on your ass during this time. You will be pitching and following up with all the other VCs on your list. Some will respond with positive interest, and right now begins what is often the most time-consuming and difficult part of the fundraising process, actually closing the round. And remember... The round is only closed when all of the money is in your bank account. How long does closing a round take? Eh, it can take a month or it can take six months. It, it depends on way too many different things. But your job in this time is to get the money in the bank. We'll talk about some common distractions and delays in a minute. But remember, you need to get the ball in the goal. At this point, there are three kinds of responses you'll get from a VC. First, you might get a no, and that's fine. Listen to their feedback, ask if they know a different fund you might be a better fit for, and ask for an intro. Thank you, and move on. Second, you may get a term sheet. Now, a term sheet is a non-binding document that outlines the most important aspects of the investment. The valuation, the amount of money the fund plans on investing, voting rights, protections such as liquidation preferences, you know, things like that. Now, a term sheet is an important document, but it is not a contract, and it does not mean that the fund will invest in your company. It's a serious opening offer. It's the start of negotiations. The final numbers may be different. The VC may or may not invest, but, but things are definitely moving in the right direction. Now get the ball in the goal. The third, and by far the most common response you're going to get, will be requests for more information. This might be requests for more details about your sales or service, or a request to meet the rest of your team, or for you to talk with some of their other partners. Obviously, you want to answer those questions and move towards a term sheet and an investment. But as you answer more and more of these questions, and you attend more and more of these meetings, 
you might notice that some of these VCs seem to be really slow. Now, part of this is just because, well, Japanese VCs are kind of slow. But in some cases, you'll find yourself dealing with a VC that will keep asking questions and keep the conversation going, but who will never move to a term sheet, no matter how you answer their questions. Some VCs just won't give no for an answer. Why do they do this? Well, most of the firms that string you along like this are doing so to keep their options open. I mean, maybe a famous VC will decide to invest in you, and they don't want to miss out if that happens. Maybe you'll be successful, and they might want to invest in your next round, and they don't want to hurt your feelings by saying no outright. Maybe it's just their misguided way of staying friends. However, the cynical strategist in me can't help but notice that it's a very useful position for a VC to be in, is to always be just about to invest, to always have the option to invest, but to only actually do so at the last possible second as the round is closing. Now, some VCs may do this consciously and some unconsciously. And hey, maybe I'm reading this all wrong and it just looks this way from the founder's side of the negotiating table. I'm not really sure, but it's a damn good strategy for a VC if they can get away with it. Okay, so how are you supposed to get the ball in the goal when you're not even sure what game the VCs are playing? Well, if a regular VC and you have already agreed on a term sheet that you're both happy with, then that VC can be a huge help in closing the round. If they want to take the entire round, great. You just need to decide when and where the money will be wired. If the VC only wants to take part of the round, they'll be acting as your lead investor, which means that all of the other investors in this round will be investing under the same terms listed in their term sheet. And as your lead investor, they will be in a great position to know who else should be investing in your startup and to make those introductions. And here is where Japanese CVCs really shine. While many of them struggle to make investment decisions based on direct pitches from startups, most are quite comfortable co-investing in deals brought to them by a CVC they trust. In fact, Connected VCs will be able to bring in a coalition of CVCs to fill out the round. In general, the most effective way to a pitch to a Japanese CVC is to have your VC do it for you. Whether a VC will do this for you really depends on the investor. Not the VC firm, but the individual person you're working with. Some people will practically put the deal together for you, and some will just ask you to keep them posted on your progress. It's, it's really a personality thing. But no matter how helpful your VC is here, it's your responsibility to get the money in the bank. Closing your funding round is not your VC's top priority, so it had better be yours. Now, if you don't have a VC who's willing to actively lead the round, then you need to take your term sheet in hand set a closing date, and start herding your cats. Some founders don't like to set a deadline, but, but I do. Too many investors will wait until the last minute, and having a deadline creates a sense of urgency both for them and for you. From here on out, it's really a sales process. And I admit it can be hard to know if you're making progress. It can be genuinely difficult to know which VCs are asking legitimate questions about your strategy and your finances in order to make a decision, and which are just trying to keep their options open. In general, though, if an investor is asking for specific information that you can provide right now, you're probably making progress. However, comments like, well, we'd really like to see a bit more traction next quarter, or we'd feel more comfortable investing once you close that deal, actually mean no. Never delay your close in an attempt to accommodate these investors, because they're probably going to be just as indecisive even after you've achieved the targets they've specified. Stay friendly, stay in touch, 
but focus on the investors you think you can close. However, I think you'll find that the most persuasive argument you have in getting a VC to invest in your startup is which other VCs are investing. Perhaps the most common question you're going to be asked by VCs is, so who else is investing? And once you get a term sheet from a respected VC, you're going to find that, by amazing coincidence, many of the investors who have been slow-walking you for months will suddenly decide they have enough information to move forward. And if you don't have a VC willing to lead you around, you can still close it. You'll just have to work a lot harder. But as I mentioned before, even if you have a respected VC actively leading you around, getting the money in the bank is your responsibility. So congratulations. You've successfully raised your first round of venture funding. Give yourself an evening to celebrate with your team. You've earned it. But tomorrow morning, you need to focus on the really hard part, growing your business. After all you've been through, it may be hard to believe, but raising funds, that's the easy part. If all goes well, your next funding round should be a lot easier. You'll have your existing investors to set up meetings with later stage VCs, and since you'll have a few more quarters of real-world results to point to, indirect validation like recommendations from other founders and pitch contests will play much less of a role. But those real-world results don't come easy. The truth is, most venture-backed startups fail. And every startup is different. So trust your gut, make friends with other founders, and listen to other people who are also trying to figure this all out. In fact, that was one of my main motivations in starting Disrupting Japan. To let you hear the different and sometimes contradictory real-world experiences and ideas from founders that are growing their companies and trying to make sense of this whole startup journey. There's never been a better time to start a startup in Japan than right now. If you've already launched your startup here, or if you plan on doing so, and, and I sincerely hope that you do, get in touch sometime and let me know how things are going for you. As you grow your startup, you'll find that while your funding will come from VCs, your most valuable advice will come from other founders. If you want to talk about raising money in Japan, and I know you do, Come by disruptingjapan.com slash show156 and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee you I'll respond. And hey, if you get the chance, please check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook. But even better, if you like the show, tell people about it. Disrupting Japan was recently ranked as the third biggest business podcast in Japan. And that's really thanks to you. Disrupting Japan has grown not by social media marketing or advertising, but because listeners like you enjoy it, and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.